If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door regarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but he thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, "'The voice of God and not a man!' Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. This is the word of the Lord. Good to see y'all. How you doing? Good? You enjoying the summer? It's nice, isn't it? I got a quick survey for you to kick it off. Show of hands. I want to know who has ever been in a fight. I'm not talking an argument. I'm talking like hands to the face, somebody's on the ground. Who's been in a fight? All right, don't be proud, but keep them high. Keep them high. I want to know if the fight was with someone bigger than you. Keep your hands up. Wow, you guys have a feisty crowd here. All right, I want to know if you won. Keep your hand up. Don't lie to me now. You better. All right, okay, now I know. Now I know. I got some problems with a neighbor, you know. I just figured I'd know who to call. I'm just kidding. He's fighting in church. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not, I'm not fighting. But uh, in all seriousness, uh, cinema picture, uh, 
My big takeaway from this story is that the, the church in Acts is in a fight. And this is not a fight against flesh and blood. Paul tells us that in Ephesians chapter 6. He, he actually says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's, it's not a fight against men and women. It's not a fight against Herod. It's not a fight against Rome. It's not a fight against the Pharisees, although it feels like that because you've got Rome crucifying Jesus. You've got the Pharisees stoning Stephen in Acts 7. You've got Herod killing James in Acts 12 and then arresting Peter and preparing to kill him as well. It feels like a fight against flesh and blood. It feels like a fight against whatever's coming at you in life. It feels like your circumstances are attacking you. It feels like your boss is being hard on you. It feels like life is hitting you in the face. But it's not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so here we have the church in Acts chapter 12. And Herod, the king, the, the greatest force in their region has just killed James, an apostolic giant, a father of the faith, and arrested Peter. To put this in perspective, this would be as though Brian just got beheaded and Greg's in prison. And the only reason he's in prison and not dead with Brian is because it's the Passover, or it's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, verse 4 tells us, which is just after the Passover. And during that time, you, you can't sentence anyone, you can't execute anyone during that time. And Herod needed the Jews to be on his side. He needed them to back him up politically. And so that verse three tells us he saw that it pleased the Jews when he killed James. And so that's why he arrested Peter is because he's preparing after this feast of unleavened bread is over. I'm going to kill Peter too. And so to put this in perspective, this is as though Brian has just been beheaded. Greg's in prison and he's on the chopping block next. And what it says is that the church prayed. The church prayed. Times like this, you begin to wonder, God, where are you? Because when the church prayed at first, nothing happened. This is like going to the doctor for a routine checkup and finding out that you have stage four cancer and you have six weeks to live. This is like just whoa, out of nowhere. So what happens in a situation like this? Well, as we see, the church praise. And we've seen things like this ourselves as a church. Earlier this year, Vicki Mowry, who was sitting up in the front row last service, she's married to Larry, who's an elder in this church. She was diagnosed with Guillain-Barre, a disease that in two days time took her from a fully functioning person who was walking around doing life like the rest of us in two days time. She's in the ICU on a ventilator, unable to move her arms or legs. A few days in, the doctors told her husband, Larry, that they weren't sure if she was going to make it. And we as a church, honestly, it felt hopeless at first. And then yet, in this, just like in this story, the church, Jubilee, just gave ourselves to prayer. And fervently on Tuesday mornings, week after week, people would pray for her. Greg actually set up a 24-hour prayer vigil on her behalf. And for a month, every hour on the hour, for 24 hours, every day, someone was praying for Vicky. And there were moments where it felt like our prayers weren't working. There were moments where it felt like we took a step back and not a step forward. And yet on April 28th, she walked into a Jubilee service for the first time in three months. That for me wasn't the best part. The best part for me was two weeks later on a Tuesday morning when we gathered as a church to pray and Vicki walks in the door to join with us as we pray so that she could stand in the gap for other people who were going through things like she was. 
Just a few months ago, Ben Jers, a member of this church, was in a terrible car accident. Awful story. His wife went through a traumatic ordeal. A couple days in, the doctor told his wife, Jules, that she needed to consider making plans to take him off of life support because they could detect no brain activity and they didn't think there was any hope for his survival. They said, there's one thing we could do and we don't recommend doing it because of all the side effects. You should probably think about taking him off life support. And yet, on a Sunday morning just like this, you prayed for Ben. And then in our Tuesday morning prayer meeting, we prayed for Ben. And members of the security team that Ben serves on, they went to the hospital and other members of the church went to the hospital and they laid hands on Ben and they prayed for Ben. And just a couple days ago on July 3rd, Jules posted this. She says, it's Wednesday. Ben had a fantastic day. So he's had the speaking valve on for three days now. And today he finally talked. Literally, he talked. He also washed his face with a washcloth. He took a cup of ice and put it to his mouth. He walked 177 feet. He did it with a stand, but still initiated his own steps. And also he got on a bike thing that he initiated some pedaling, but by that point, he was already pretty tired. Take him off to life support, we're not sure. We don't think he can make it. Walking around, praise God. The church wins the battle in prayer. Notice that the church didn't see immediate results to their prayers though. I mean, Passover is a week long and Peter was arrested and imprisoned and then the church goes to prayer for him. And we know that the church is praying for some time. We don't know how long, if it was hours, if it was days, but here they are gathered in this house and just imagine it from their perspective. So they're gathered in this house, praying for Peter. Nothing seems to be happening from their perspective and they're praying and they're praying and they're praying and they're praying. And from their perspective, nothing's happening to the point where when Peter actually shows up at the house, Rhoda, Little girl goes to the gate and says, hey, Peter's here, Peter's here, Peter's here. And they're like, no, 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 it's probably his angel. Like, come on back, join us in praying because, you know, we're praying for Peter until he dies. But it's not Peter. And she's like, no, guys, Peter, you're praying for Peter. Peter's at the gate. And they're like, no, 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 he's not at the gate. Just knock it off. And finally, she's like, just, just come to the, just humor me, come to the gate, you know. And they come to the gate, oh my gosh, it's Peter. They didn't expect their prayers to be answered. They didn't have this incredible faith, but they were just persevering in prayer. Was, Peter's in prison. We're going to pray. Peter's, we're just going to pray. That's all we know to do. We're just going to gather up. We're going to pray. And, and just from their perspective, I mean, they're in a house gathering for hours, maybe days on end, and nothing seems to be changing. I mean, all the while, they don't know that God has sent an angel, that the angel has come into the prison just right past all the guards, and he went up to Peter and was like, hey, wake up, Peter. He's like, hey, put your invisibility cloak on because we're about to walk up out of this place. And he's like, oh, those chains on your hands, doop, doop, you know, just gone, fall off. And invisib- I don't know if he put his wing around them or invisibility cloak or what, but just strolls on up out of there, you know, turns back with the men in black bloopy thing and just bloops them all to make them forget. Gate opens up, you know, and they're out. Like that's, I might've embellished it a little bit, but that's pretty much how it went. Heaven was at work all along, but they couldn't see it until the last minute. How many times do we pray and God is at work on our behalf, but we don't don't get to see it until the last minute? It reminds me actually of uh, Daniel the prophet. Daniel prayed and fasted for three weeks. Can you imagine not eating for three weeks? I I struggle to not eat for like six hours. He's not eating for three weeks seeking God's intervention. For three weeks, it seemed as though nothing was happening. 
mean, every day, just waking up, you know, about lunchtime, starts to think about raisin canes, chicken strips, and Chick-fil-A milkshakes, and White Castle sliders. No, no, not White Castle sliders, but everything else. And for three weeks, praying and fasting, no word from God, no angelic visitation, no change in his circumstance. Then on the 21st day, an angel appears to Daniel. On the 21st day. I would have been like, man, you could have come sooner. But 21st day, this is what the angel says. He says, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. From the first day. And I have come because of your words. This is where it gets interesting. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. Spiritual forces of evil. But Michael, one of the chief princes, so there's some authority in the angelic realm. I don't, know, I don't understand it, but it's there. That Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. Michael means who is like God. Michael means psh, prince of Persia, whatever. You know who my God is? So he's like, I'll come duke it out with the prince of Persia for a minute. You can go on, other angel, whatever your name is. You can go on and help Daniel out. God sends an angel, but Daniel doesn't see it until the 21st day. It was persevering in prayer that brought the breakthrough. Friends, we need to learn the lesson of persevering in prayer. Oftentimes we pray and we give up because we don't see the result. And I, you know, if, if we're honest with each other, a lot of us probably doubt the power of prayer because things we don't pray about happen and the things we pray about seemingly don't happen. We go, God, how does it all work? And we, and we have to humble ourselves to understand the sovereignty of God, that the same God who broke Peter out of prison is the same God who actually let James be killed, who is the same God who also let Peter be martyred later on in his life. And, and yet God is responding to the persevering prayers of the church and he is advancing his mission on his own will, on his own terms, in his own time. And this should not dishearten us when our prayers aren't answered because the same strength that is required to endure cancer and the same healing power that comes to, to heal you of cancer and the same healing work that God does through surgeons and doctors to heal your cancer, all of that is a strength and a provision that we get from persevering prayer. It's something that we get from the good hand of our loving, kind God. We need to learn to persevere in prayer. And listen, if you've been praying, my, my hope for you today is that you keep praying. And if you've stopped praying, my hope for you today is not that you'd feel condemned, like, oh, I'm just terrible, I don't pray. My hope for you is that you would start praying today. Luke chapter 11, the disciples asked Jesus a question. I think it's a good question, a question we should ask. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And I'm guessing they asked this question because they noticed that prayer was the source of all of the ministry that Jesus was doing. I mean, if you look at the life and ministry of Jesus before he does ministry, he's praying. While he's doing ministry, he's praying. After he does ministry, he prays. John chapter five, verse 19, it says that he only does what he sees the Father doing, that he can do nothing of his own accord. John chapter 15, he tells us we can do nothing of our own accord. So in response to their quest, Lord, teach us to pray. He teaches them about the Lord's prayer. After that, he tells this odd little story. He tells about a guy who comes to a friend in the middle of the night to ask for some bread because he has some unexpected visitors and didn't have any food to give them. I would have been like, nope, get out of my house. 
A few details to help. In those days, the middle of the night was really the middle of the night because you went to bed when the sun went down. Sun goes down, you go to bed. Sun gets up, you get up with it, right? In those days, also, the family slept in one big area. So listen, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old little girl and almost one-year-old little boy. We live in a two-bedroom apartment just up the street, and uh, so there's only two rooms. We got to sleep. Kids got to sleep. He wakes up. Can't put him with her. So he goes in our room. So he sleeps next to our bed in a crib. And so I live in a 100-year-old house, wooden floors, creaky as all get out. You should see me just trying to go to bed at night. I'm like, because <sighs> 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 I know if I, if I creak, he wakes up. My wife, I mean, just you pray for me, all right? So, <laughs> so I get the frustration of someone knocking on your door. I mean, I have a sign on my front door this big that says, please do not ring the doorbell. Because people come to my house when my kids are sleeping. Ding, ding, hey, good to see you. I'm like, it's not good to see you. Get out of my house. We just lost our friendship. Which if you have, if you know somebody who has kids like under five, don't ring the doorbell, text them, okay? Just some wisdom. Uh, all sleeping together, knock, 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 middle of the night. Hey, I got a friend that just came in town. You know, I didn't have any food. Can I just get some bread? It says three loaves of bread. That's a lot of bread for some friend who just came into town for one night. This is, a, this is quite the request at a terrible time. And it says, Jesus, I love what Jesus says. He says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Of course, he's not his friend. He just lost the friendship. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And one translation says, because of his shameless persistence. He gives it to him because of his boldness and his persistence in asking. So Jesus goes on, he says, won't your heavenly father who loves you, who never sleeps, give you whatever you ask? This guy, he's not even my friend, but I'm just, I need to get him off my back. So yeah, have the bread. Won't your heavenly father who loves you, who never sleeps, give you what you ask? Jesus goes on to say, and I tell you, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, knock, and it will be open to you for everyone who asks, receives, and the one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Those three verbs are all in the imperfect verb tense, which, which implies continuous action. It's not just if you ask, you'll receive. It's if you ask, and 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 then it's progressive. If you, if you seek, and you seek, and you keep seeking, you keep seeking, and if you knock, and you knock, and you knock, until, just keep knocking until they open the door, then you'll receive, you'll find, the door will be open to you. The application here is not that God is a genie in a bottle and we can twist his arm to do whatever we want if we just keep bothering him. The application is that God is our father who loves us and cares for us and wants to give to us the Holy Spirit, the, the third person of the Trinity, God himself to live within us and dwell with us and help us and lead us and guide us and provide for us and bring breakthrough into our life. He wants to give him to us and we can receive more of him in our lives if we persistently pursue God in prayer. So when we pray, we always receive more of the Spirit. Charles Spurgeon used to say it this way, some of heaven's best fruit is on branches of the tree that you don't get by shaking one time. Some of heaven's best fruit, you don't just, oh, so good, best fruit. No, some of heaven's best fruit, you gotta shake that branch until it falls off. Some of heaven's best fruit will only come through persistent, persevering prayer. If you go back to Acts chapter 12, notice that it says the believers were praying. We're praying. There's your imperfect verb tense again. So they didn't pray and leave it. They kept praying until they prevailed. Notice that they didn't use prayer 
like this cosmic uh, intercom or domestic intercom or room service. They didn't use God like, like a cosmic bellboy. No, no, they used prayer like a wartime walkie-talkie. Pastor and author John Piper, he says it this way. He says, prayer is primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It is not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comforts in the den. Until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission, namely that men and women all across the world would come to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ, that he, Jesus Christ, the son of God, looked upon the sins of the world, just like we sang about earlier, that he is the lamb of God who takes away our sin. If you don't know this about Jewish history, a morning and an evening sacrifice was made, a lamb every morning and a lamb every evening. And then the, the, the sacrificial lamb in your place, the priest would go in to the temple and would sacrifice the lamb for the sins of the people, imputing the sins of the people to the lamb. Because the only way to atone or pay for sin is through blood, through death. Romans chapter three tells us that our sin, or the wages of sin is death, that it's earned us death, that, that we clocked in sin and what we get back is death. That all of us have done that, that all have fallen short of the glory of God. That every single one of us is not a good person trying to get better, that there's not good and bad. No, no, we've all fallen short. And, and, and you used to have to pay for your sins with a lamb over and over and over. The, the high priest would have to go every morning and every evening to pay for the sins of the people. But Jesus, the great high priest, once and for all gave his only, his, his very life. He is the lamb of God. He was crucified on the cross so that our sins would be paid for. He made it possible through his life, his death, and his resurrection, not only for our sins to be forgiven. That's not the end game. The end game is not our sins get forgiven. The end game is we get reconciled to God and to one another. The end game is that God brings, he gathers to himself a people for his own possession, and that the dividing wall of hostility between us gets torn down, which is why a unified church is a beautiful church to God, because that's, that's, what, the, that's what the blood bought. The blood bought our unity and it bought our reconciliation to God himself. So, so why can we pray? Because Jesus died for our sins. Just like Elijah said, Judah coming to him, running to his father. So we get to run to our father in heaven. And when we ask and seek and knock, we receive and find and the door is open to us. It's a wonderful thing. Prayer is also rebellion against the status quo. Some people say, Prayer doesn't change the situation. Prayer just changes you. Oh, no. Yeah, sure, prayer changes you. You're connecting with the Alpha and the Omega, the creator of the universe who spoke and the galaxies came into existence. Yeah, of course. It's like sticking your finger in an outlet. Yeah, it's going to change you, all right? Like something's going to happen. You, you interact with God Almighty, who is Father, who sent his son for us in love for us, like the source of all love and joy and peace. Yeah, 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 that's gonna change us. But that's not all that it does. That's silly. To say prayer doesn't change your situation is to say that when we make our request known to God, he doesn't do anything in response to them. That's, that's an insult to God's character because he is the one who said, ask and receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open. He's the one who said, you don't have 
because you don't ask. There's a scripture for you. You don't have because you don't ask. There's things God wants to give that he's not giving because we haven't asked. Is he withholding? No, he's just waiting for us to ask. That's James chapter four. Prayer absolutely changes the situation. Some people say, oh, I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe in the sovereignty of God too. I just believe that God sovereignly said that there's some things he won't do if you don't pray. John Wesley said it this way. He said, I'm convinced that God does nothing except in response to prayer. I mostly believe that. I mean, God created the universe. I don't think anybody prayed for that, but after that, maybe that's true. Friends, as disciples of Jesus, we're in a spiritual battle and the battle is won in prayer. And sure, there are times when we're supposed to move on where God says, you know what? You prayed enough about that. Move on. You've been praying for that girl that she would start liking you for six years. It's time to, there's some more, there's some more fish in the sea. You know, start praying for somebody else. Open your eyes. But there are times to move on. But most of us, we move on way too quickly. We move on way too quickly. We need to learn to persevere, to intercede in prayer. Or as D.A. Carson says, many of us in our praying are like nasty little boys who ring front doorbells and run away before anyone answers. Ding dong ditch. The best power that God has for your life, for this church, for our city, the best that God has for us will only come through persevering prayer. I mean, just check, go through the book of Acts. Acts chapter two, they prayed. Peter preached for 10 minutes. I'm like 20 minutes into this thing. He preached for 10 minutes. 3,000 people, 3,000 men, plus women and children get saved. Acts chapter four, they prayed. God filled them with such boldness. They turned the city of Jerusalem upside down. By the end of Acts five, you've got at least 10,000 new Christians, probably way more, in Jerusalem, where you have some of the harshest critics. I'm talking like Jewish priests, guys like Saul, persecuting the church, and the church is rapidly multiplying and growing. Here in Acts 12, they pray, God leads a jailbreak, just to show the king how weak he is, and then when the king refuses to give God the glory and exalts himself, God says, I'm done with your pride, your life's over, strikes him dead, He gets eaten by worms, absolute shame. And then in Acts chapter 13, they pray and God raises up Paul to be a missionary, probably the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. The church in Acts is a praying church because they understood that they were in a battle. They were fighting a spiritual battle and they fought that battle in prayer. And boy, did they prevail. Friends, we are in a spiritual battle. We can prevail in this life. We can prevail and the things that God wants us to do, but will only come through prayer. As it's been said, prayer moves the arm that moves the world. Or as Samuel Chadwick said, I don't know how he said it, old Wesleyan preacher. I kind of imagine him saying, the one concern of the devil. But I don't think that's how he said it. So I'll just read it normal. The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from prayer. Our enemy fears nothing from prayerless study, prayerless work, or prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Prayer turns ordinary mortals into men and women of power. It brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. There is no power like that of prevailing prayer. I just want to say, you know, every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m., we gather out in this lobby to pray. Why not join us this week? Look, oh, it's early, 6 a.m., I get it. It's inconvenient, I know. It's probably not on your way to work. It's hard work, my flesh just resists. I'm not a morning person. I, yeah, I get it. I mean, yes, 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 I, I agree. 
But if all this is true, why would we not make the sacrifice and resist our flesh to give ourselves to persevering prayer? First Saturday of every month, 8 a.m. August 4th is the next one. You just want to go ahead and type it in your calendar. August 4th, 8 a.m., we gather in this lobby to pray. Last, this is going to be a hard one to remember, last Friday of every odd month. We just want to see if you're paying attention. Last Friday of every odd month. July 26th is the next one. 7 p.m. Evening prayer, morning prayer. We got it covered. July 26th. I hope you're putting it in your calendar. 7 p.m. We gather to pray. Friends, God has more for your life. He has more for our church. He has more for the nations that will come through us as we give ourselves to persevering in prayer. It happens individually. It happens together. If you want to learn to pray, come to these prayer meetings. If you want to gather with people who are passionate about praying and stir yourself up to pray, come to these prayer meetings. If you want to join with what God is doing in this church, come to the prayer meeting. I'm telling you right now, what happens on Sunday is not where it's at. What happens on Sunday is like, uh, it's an overflow of what happens in the prayer meeting. We win the battles in prayer. And we receive the power and the blessing and the, the overflow of the Holy Spirit in prayer that then gets imparted into these Sunday meetings and into our community group life. If you want to join in on what God is doing, join the prayer. Jim Simbola, pastor up in New York City, he says, you can tell, this one's going to hurt, I'm just warning you, guard your heart, guard your heart. You can tell how popular our pastor is by how many people show up on Sunday mornings. You can tell how popular Jesus is by how many people show up at the prayer meeting. Friends, if that's true, we might be in trouble. Sunday, it's in the calendar, it's normal, it's kind of what church folk do. Please make prayer like that. Please treat our prayer times like you treat Sunday. If I'm here, if I'm in town, if it's at all possible, I'm there. I'm not scheduling things during that. I'm not doing other things. I'm not just not going because it's been a hard day and work was long and the kids are tired. Of course, Satan hates you. He doesn't want you at the prayer meeting. He's gonna make it the hardest day of your month. Just settle in your mind. I'm gonna get through all that and I'm gonna be there. I love that I'm preaching this message when there's not a prayer meeting next week because you know, I'm not just trying to get you to that one. I care about us living a life of prayer. Build it in. Charles Spurgeon said to his church, it was the largest church in the world at his time. It had grown faster than any other church ever in downtown London, which was a very unlikely place for a church to grow. He said, the prayer meeting is an institution which ought to be very precious to us and ought to be cherished by us as a church for to it, we owe everything. When our comparably little chapel was all but empty, was it not a well-known fact that the prayer meeting was always full? And then when our church grew and the little chapel was scarcely big enough to hold us all, it was the prayer meeting that was doing it all. These guys, they moved to the biggest theater in downtown London and then the largest arena in all of London. He continues on, he says, what cries and tears went up to heaven for our success. And so it has been ever since. It is the spirit of prayer that our strength lies. If we lose this, it's like the locks will be shorn from Samson and the church of God will become as weak as water. The same is true for us, Jubilee. We've got all these dreams in front of us. We, we, a few years ago, as elders, we prayed and we talked and we said, we feel like these next three years, God is calling us to launch into some new things and to adopting and fostering and to planting more churches and to seeing more youth raised up and sent out on the mission of Jesus all across the world and to planting more churches and building more. We just felt like God put all this stuff in front of us. And yeah, we're gonna need resources to pull that off. That's why we did this huge initiative to raise all this money, but 
we're gonna win those battles in prayer. And if we pray those things through, I believe God will do more than we could ever ask or imagine. And if we don't, it'll be a nice idea we had a few years ago. On one occasion, an American pastor was visiting Spurgeon in London and like a good American, he said, hey, what's the key? You know, we're can-do people. Give me the manual. I'll make it happen back in my neck of the woods. Probably would have done the same thing. So what's the key? Spurgeon said, I don't, man, I don't know. I don't know what the key is. I don't, I'm not the structure guy, you know, but uh, let me just, you know, during the service, takes him down into this, they have this big arena and this room under the arena. Takes him down to this room under the arena. He says, this is the best I can tell you. Opens the door, 300 people on their knees crying out to God that he would release power on the service, that he would move on hearts of men and women gathered in that service. Spurgeon said, I never preach without people on their knees crying out to God to send power. There are men and women in this church that you'll maybe never see on this stage who make this church what it is because they give themselves to crying out to God for him to send power upon this church. If you're one of those men and women, I just wanna thank you from the bottom of my heart because you carry us in your prayers. And I wanna invite all of us to join with them to stand in the gap, to cry out to God for him to do something in our day that we'll be heard about for years to come. Like Tommy said up here, the young people gathering to pray. That's a sign that God is on the move. I wanna be in on it and I want you to be in on it too. The Holy Spirit is beckoning us, Jubilee, and I just wanna invite us to answer his call to be a church that perseveres in prayer. If you'll stand with me, I wanna pray for us. The band's gonna lead us in a song.